0: Welcome to Liquid Church Audio. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered live at Liquid Church by Pastor Tim Lucas. For more information and content, or to connect with our worldwide Liquid Church community, log on to liquidchurchonline.com. I know what you're looking at, Mary, and Jesus does, too. I still don't think he's supposed to be white. Of course he's white! Oh, gosh! Oh. Yeah, what's up, guys? So, I'm scared of being seen with a cripple. Are you playing footsies with me? Wheelies. I'm concerned about Mary, and I think that you could help her. I mean, like, shoot her. No, no, I was thinking of something a little less gangster. You are backsliding into the flames of hell. You're you have performing an exorcism, yes, my I am filled with Christ's love. Ooh. You didn't tell me Pastor Skip was so nice. Mom, what's shaking? Skip, I can hand-smoke kills. I'm counting on it. <gasps> oh, Jenna Malone. Mandy Moore. Macaulay Culkin. Patrick Fugit. Heather Matarazzo. Eva Amori, Martin Donovan. Mary Louise Parker. I crashed my into Jesus. Saved. Oh, it's good to be saved, isn't it? It's an amazing thing. I thought we'd start with a trailer from uh, that was a teen comedy a few years ago. Called Saved, I'm not recommending it to you, but it's this movie about a group of girls who go to a fundamentalist Christian high school and they spend most of their time trying to convert their friends to Christianity. And the movie itself, it's not great, so, you know, parents are not like, oh, show the kids kind of thing. But it's this searing kind of uh, critique of the religious subculture. In my favorite scene, um, the main girl, Hillary Faye, she's played by Mandy Moore, she confronts her friend Mary, who's backsliding with a boy. And she waves her Bible at her and says, Mary, stay away from Satan. Jesus, he loves you. And she goes, you don't know the first thing about love. And she goes, I am filled with Christ's love. And throws the Bible at her, hits <laughs> her in the head. And she picks up and goes, this is not a weapon, you idiot, you know. That exchange for me kind of captures the ambivalence that a lot of people feel towards organized religion. Like, I mean, if Jesus came preaching this revolutionary gospel of love and forgiveness, Why do so many of his followers act like plain jerks, quite honestly? You ever wonder that? More and more, our culture is turning a wary eye towards organized religion. Uh, Recent movies like the Bill Mayer uh, movie, a documentary, Religulous, openly mock spiritual faith. Others like, uh, you know, Jesus Camp, if you've seen that, try to unmask Christianity as a brainwashing kind of enterprise that indoctrinates children. Um, It's not just Hollywood, but if you take a look at the best-selling books over the past few years, you'll see titles like The End of Faith by author Sam Harris, who links religious belief and violence in the world. And maybe you heard of God is Not Great, How Religion Poisons Everything, by Christopher Hitchens, who argues that religion kind of encourages this blind submission to authority and incites violence across the world. Now, here's the deal: Hitchens and Harris, along with um, with Dawkins, you know, Richard Dawkins wrote *The God Illusion. They're kind of like the unholy trinity, uh, you know, the, the horsemen of the atheist apocalypse. But if you just pause for a moment and ask this question: What if they had a point? What if religion, by its nature, brings out the worst in people? It is a Terrible irony, and maybe that's shocking for you to hear in a Christian church. But, but, but why is that? Why does religion sometimes seem to draw out the worst in people? I want to welcome you to our series, Revolution, and uh, it's based on a simple premise that Jesus of Nazareth didn't come to this world to establish a new religious institution, but actually overthrow religion and replace it with himself. We've been using this kind of revolutionary imagery in a very intentional way because Jesus really did declare war on the religious establishment of his day and in a very real way. He was looked at by church leaders as something of a radical. Um, He was not violent, we'll be very clear about this. But he waged a very subversive campaign on the religion of his day, troubled as he was by how bad religion seemed to turn good people into these self-righteous kind of religious police who were less concerned with actually loving other people than with judging, critiquing, and sometimes those attacking those who threatened you know, their customs and traditions. Um, by way of review, we've been uh, defining religion as you know, any institution that sets up a system of, of rules and rituals as the way to connect to God. I do this, God accepts me. And the idea being, you follow those rules, those, those regulations successfully, God will embrace you based on your performance. And you may be like, well, what's wrong with that, trying to please God? Does religion really poison everything? Well, if you believe the Jesus of the Bible, and we're going to see something in the Gospels today that you won't see in the movies, the answer is yes, and here's worse. Religion will kill you if you give your heart to it. That's why Jesus came to abolish religion and replace it with himself. Let me show you what i are talking about. So turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to look in chapter 12 today. It's one of the most shocking confrontations Jesus had with the leaders of organized religion in first century Judaism. Now, here's the deal. I want to be a, uh, an equal opportunity offender Uh, Because that's what Jesus was. So if we're going to critique religion, we might as well include all major faiths. All religions of the world since the beginning of time are geared to answering one question. If God is up here and we are uh, down here, how do we get up there? Every religion in the world is geared to answer this one question. They, they acknowledge that you know, humans were meant to be connected with the divine, but something like broke that connection. Something severed it. Most people would look at that, whether you're religious or not, you'd be like, "Oh, people are not living in perfect harmony with God. That is for sure. We were meant for that, but something's gotten in the way. And, and here's the deal. Every religion, from Buddhism to Catholicism, you know, Catholicism, Hinduism, they propose a very similar solution. That man ascends to God through a series of, of steps. Here's what you do, a how-to list to reach God. So if you're taking notes, I want you to draw a series of steps. We're going to take visual notes today. Draw steps. And it's very, very easy because if you're Jewish or you're Christian, for 2,000 years it was very simple. Those steps were keep the Ten Commandments. These are the law of God and if you obey those, God will be pleased. The Ten Commandments or the Torah. For Muslims you have the five pillars of Islam. These are the duties that every uh, Muslim man and woman must do to be accepted by God. Uh, After that, you have, like, think of, like, uh, for Buddhists, right? You have, for Buddhists, they have the four, what they call the noble truths. This would be, you know, and in that is the eightfold path. These are the things that the Buddha says you must do. Notice the numerical listing. Ten things, five pillars, four noble truths. As we saw in our last series on Catholicism, uh, there are seven sacraments. In other words, here's the checklist of things that you must do to ascend to God. Ten steps, five ways, four upward steps. And if you're successful at that, you will reach God. If we're down here, he's up there, this is what you got to do. Now, for Jews of the first century, that's the context here in Matthew 12, the steps were actually very, very, even more clear. For a good Jewish person to reach God, they needed to do these things. If you're on your steps... They obeyed the law. When I say the law, I'm talking about the Torah, the law of Moses. This is the Ten Commandments. You obeyed those. And then you went to temple because we know you're not going to be able to keep all of them. So you need to go there and talk with a priest who will make a sacrifice on your behalf. God is holy. Look, he's up here. You're way down there, people. You can't talk to him directly. Go to a priest. And then he will make a sacrifice. He'll shed the blood of an animal so it takes away your sin, your faults, and your failings. This is what the first century Jewish life believed. And you can still see this in Orthodox congregations today. Now, that's our background as we look at this confrontation in Matthew 12. What Jesus had with the Pharisees, who were, hey, they believed it's their duty to protect and preserve these steps, this system. And watch what happens here. Read with me. Verse 1 says, At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, his disciples were hungry and began to pick some heads of grain and eat them. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. He answered, Haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not, unlo- which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. Or haven't you read... In the law that on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple desecrate the day and yet are innocent. So you see, he's talking about sacrifice, priests, the temple, the law. There's some sort of argument going on, and Jesus is like, I get it. Now look at verse 6. I tell you that one greater than the temple is here. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. You would not have condemned the innocent. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. We'll stop right there. To understand what's going on here, you've got to know a few things kind of about the law, particularly the Sabbath. That was a central part of keeping God's commandments. You guys probably know this, honor the Sabbath. God's, in other words, he said, God's people, you are to work six days, and on the seventh, what do you do? You take a, a rest. That's what the Sabbath means, peace, shalom. No work is to be done on the Sabbath. You set it aside to relax and rest and worship the Lord, dedicate to him. That's where we get the tradition of our weekend. That's why we're here. Jews would do that on Saturday. Here we are on Sunday. And the whole idea is we're simply following God's model. When the creator, Lord, made the universe, he worked on six days, creative activity, the heavens, the earth, everything in it. And then on the seventh, what did he do? He rested. And God's like, I want you to follow my example. Now, what the Pharisees did is they had 39 categories of stuff you couldn't do on the Sabbath. And that included harvesting crops because most people were farmers. So the problem in verse one happens, this flashpoint, when it says, at that time... Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, which is hilarious because Jesus basically says, I'm going to walk right into this. I'm going to go right out into the grain fields where we know there's a problem. And it says his disciples were hungry began to pick some heads of the grain and eat them. So in other words, they were probably picking out the grain and going like this. You never do that? You kind of get the sh- you know, chafe to go away and eating the kernels because they were hungry. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said, look, look, your disciples are doing what's unlawful on the Sabbath. In other words, they were like, Safety violation. We got a problem here. We caught him. Jesus and his followers are breaking what? They're breaking the law because you're technically harvesting. That's what you're doing. The text says they were hungry. They weren't like harvesting for profit or something. But this violated the tradition of the elders. See, here's the deal. If In your notes, in addition to the written law, the the Ten Commandments, the, the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, Jews had an oral Torah. In other words, this is what the elders also said, you'll want to do these other things in order to please God. So if you want to obey the Sabbath, you'll want to steer clear of anything that could be interpreted as working. Now, this may seem ridiculous, but you've got to get this. Every religion has its version of the written law, which over time adds onto it an oral tradition. We saw this in the Catholicism series. It starts out innocently enough but in fact, you can't throw the Pharisees out as extremists. A lot of people are like, oh, the Pharisees had the bad guys of the Bible. No. In Jesus' day, the Pharisees were the back-to-the-Bible movement. <laughs> These were the guys who were like, if we could, if we could just get people to, to, to incorporate God's word, his law, into their daily life, that will fix our nation. Can you imagine? I mean, they, they had total commitment to God's word in every detail. And so as every scenario came up, they added also oral laws, in other words, words that they spoke that they said, this is kind of a, a way of making better safe than sorry. It worked like this. I'll give you an example. Let's pretend God didn't give ten commandments. Let's pretend he gave eleven. And for reasons unbeknownst to us, the eleventh commandment says, Thou shalt not touch pink piggies. This is my little girl's pig piggy. Let's take a look at this. And I can tell you why. Listen to this. thing. you squeeze its legs... And God says, oh, that's an awful toy. Don't, no one touch pink piggies. This is a terrible thing. And in some weird way, it's kind of like, oh, they did have dietary restrictions. But just go with me on this. There's this pink uh, you know, toy, and we don't know why, but he says, thou shalt not touch it. What the Pharisees would say, now we've got to teach that to every generation. And to make them, boy, someone could stumble and they could. The kids they are just, just going to touch that thing. We need to do something. We need to put a fence around it. And keep this thing away. I mean, if you don't touch the pig, maybe if we could get people, don't, let's make a new law. No one shall go five feet within the pink pig zone. And that generation would say, oh, okay, I got it. God doesn't want us to go within five feet. So then the next generation would say, well, five feet is tempting fate because you could trip and fall right into the pig. Let's expand that a bit. Um, it's not just the pig, look at him, that's a soft, cuddly animal. What if we put a, a ban on plush toys? Yeah, no toys, no toys for anybody. And they expanded the law, and then that would be passed to the next tradition, who, the next generation who would basically interpret that, and then they would say, we got to expand that even more. Let's begin a movement to outlaw the Muppets. No, No plush toys, no cuddly creatures, nothing. And that's literally how the law would expand. They thought, if we could just move away from all that is evil in the world, then then we'll be okay then then God will accept us and so this built on layer after layer after layer a fence that's what the oral torah was a fence around the law now follow me on this because i do have a point <laughs> what started out as a gift from god i'm giving you a law i want you to rest you people are going to try to find your identity in your work and it's going to wear you out and drag you down and i want to give you a gift You're so driven, I actually want you to ordain a day that you do no work. I'm giving you a gift. Became this thing where, were you going like this? I can't believe it. How scandalous. It became a burden. Jesus called them, you put heavy burdens on people's back that you yourself can't can't even abide by. And so at every turn, what we see is Jesus always saying, what is the spirit of the law? Versus the letter of the law. If you know the spirit, the principle behind the precept, you'll know what to do in every situation. And see, over time, religion does that. And Jesus says, come on, disciples, I got an object lesson. They walk through the grain fields, and he goes, watch this. And he hops the fence. And that's why they say, look, lawbreaker. They're breaking the law. And Jesus said, exactly. Because I'm not here to play religious games anymore, I'm here to actually confront your blindness if you look at verses, look at verse 3-5 through five. he tells them the story about King David he always returns to the law to explain it King David once ate consecrated bread that was simply the, the special bread used by the priests in the temple and one time David and his men were hungry and, and God allowed them to eat and didn't strike them dead and, and, he's like, and he's like, you know, David did that and now one greater than David is here so if you're going to condemn me, you've got to condemn David and the Pharisees would never do that because it would cause a riot So at every turn, Jesus is like, I want you to think about the spirit of the law, not the letter, which he summed up in one scandalous word, L-O-V-E. He said, I want to turn this thing around. I want you to understand the revolution I'm about to bring. At the heart of it, the law is love. One word. One time a Pharisee came up to Jesus and said, teacher, hmm, what is the greatest commandment? What's the most important rule in the law? And you remember how he answered If you flip back a couple pages to Matthew 7, at the center of the Sermon on the Mount, right, that subversive manifesto, Jesus said this. He said, easy, in everything, let's read it together, do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. And I love this, because Jesus basically says, let me give you cliff notes. You guys remember cliff notes from college? Who remembers this? He said, I'm going to save you some time. I'm going to sum up the entire book for you. You want the main message? Here it is, love others the way you want to be loved. That's it. Let's pray. Sermon over. It's actually not that simple. Because this is the golden rule, and every religion has its version of the golden rule, whether, whether it's you know, Buddhism, whether it's, it's Judaism, ancient Judaism, but listen to how it stated it. It said, what is hateful to you, do not do to your fellow man. That's the whole of the Torah. Rabbi Hillel said that. In other words, don't do anything you wouldn't want done to you. Now, years before him, Confucius said, what one does not wish for himself, one ought not to do to anyone else. In other words, It's primarily about sin avoidance. Here's what you don't want to do. But Jesus was the first spiritual leader in the history of the world to ever express the golden rule as a positive call to action. Rather than emphasize what not to do, he challenged as far as he said, I want you to actively look for ways to bless others and care extravagantly for them in the love of God. In everything, everything you do. Do to others what you'd have them do to you. Do the loving thing. That sums up the law. He said that's the guiding principle. It's not about sin avoidance. It's about love and action. The law is, da-da-da-da-da, love. That's the principle behind the precept. It's at the center of the revolution. He said, love always takes precedence over the law, and if you follow it, it will always tell you what to do. So, this would be the moment where you ask, but I don't get that. Then why is, like, half the Bible about the law? Why did God give the law in the first place? Let me give you an example from parenting. My son, Dell is turning six years old this week. There he is, look at that little cutie pie. Yeah, that's my daughter, Chase, she's uh, two years older, she's seven, she'll be eight uh, soon. But right now, we're in the stage of parenting with these two little buggers where we are pretty much laying down the law for them, especially with Dell. okay? Because when kids are in that first stage, they need rules and routines to tell them how to behave. For example, at dinner, my son, Dell, we have three basic rules we have for my son. The first is no frogs at the table. It's a very low bar. A kid loves critters. He loves bringing that stuff in the house. He loves surprising mom at the table with it. We're just like, no frogs. Sorry, dude. Second is he always has to finish his vegetables. We don't care if he does the fries. We don't care if he does the main meal. You have to eat your vegetables. And then we just had this, this sterling you know, goal for him. The third is no poopy talk at the table. He's not allowed to... He loves bathroom humor. He's at that age, you know. He just wants to say that kind of stuff. He's at the age where he needs rules. If we, if, if we don't enforce them, he's all over the place. So we structure things with very limited freedom for him. Now, my daughter Chase, not surprisingly female, she's more mature. So instead of rules, we emphasize routines with her. Every night before bed, she has three routines to follow. She has to pick her school clothes for the next day. Sometimes her mom will help her with that. Mommy, help me, show me what I should wear. Second is she brushes her teeth. It's not a rule. We like if she doesn't do it, we don't like crack the whip or punish her. We're like we want that to be a routine she gets in. And the third one is to pray before bed. We don't make that a rule either, otherwise she'll end up hating Jesus because I always have to pray. And we're like that, but that's you want to quiet down at the end of the day. You want to thank God for what He's done. You want to, you know, okay, you get it. We don't legislate rules with her. We do routines. Now, that's the stage of parenting we're in right now with these two kids: rules and routines for our young children. Now, I want you to imagine 12 years from now. Chase is in college, and she calls home. Hey, Dad, can I talk to Mom? Yeah, sure. Hey, what's up, sweetheart? Mommy, I don't know what to wear tomorrow. Can you help me with that? Or I see my son. I said, son, how are we doing? You eating your vegetables? You Taking care of that business kid? In other words, if my son, in 13 years from now, he's 19, and he's still bringing frogs to the table, I am not going to consider myself a successful parent, am I? <laughs> Eventually, my hope for my kids is that the rules and routines we taught them will become internalized and they'll graduate into the larger principle of responsibility and love that guide every healthy adult. So when kids are young, you get this? The focus is the law. What's the bare minimum I have to do? How long do I have to brush? Why can't I bring frogs? When they mature, the rules relax because they start understanding the larger principle behind it. The same thing is true for God and his children. You get this? In the earlier stages of humanity, the Old Testament, our spiritual father gave all kinds of rules and regulations that all children need. The problem is the kids never grew up. In other words, at some point they thought the law, the rules, is the point of life. That's why in the New Testament Jesus came and said, no, no, a new command, a new rule I give you. What is it? Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. The law is about love. That's the principle behind the precept. You get this? So catch this. Jesus introduced a revolutionary concept. He's like, if love guides your heart, the love of God, rules become redundant. Love is a guiding orientation. It's literally like like, I am now not self-centered, I am other-centered. He's like, there's two aspects to it. There's a vertical aspect. You love God. Oh, how do you love God? By loving others. There's a horizontal application. Love is bi-directional, up and across. It puts a focus on God and on others. Religion, on the other hand, puts the focus on who? Us. How well am I doing? Am I taking care of business here? And somehow it squeezes love out of the equation. It's all about what we do for God Observing the law, driving the, am I driving the speed limit? How far can I go over it without getting in trouble? And when we're focused on that, sometimes we miss the guy lying in the ditch on the side of the road. You get this? Jesus was like, you don't need to be obsessed by rules if you are ruled by one principle. The law is love. Rules lead to slavery. But if you're other-centered, love actually guides you, it will lead you into freedom, the freedom of the spiritual life. The love of the Father will tell you the right thing to do no matter what the situation is. I had a fun moment, proud parenting moment uh, with my daughter Chase uh, this spring when she showed me a sign. She's starting to understand how like, love is the higher law. It's the heart behind the rules. Uh, she was invited to be a flower girl in a, in, in a wedding, and so she got this cute little you know, you know, white dress, and she's like, the wedding's later this, this summer, and she's like, I want to wear it to school. And we're like, no, nah, I don't think so. Why not? You know, you get it dirty. Please, you know. And so you wanna, so I, I said, well, you know what? How about this? If you wear it, you only have to keep one rule: you can't get the dress dirty. Promise? Yes. <laughs> I was like, now think about what that means. I was like, that's no tetherball at recess. And she's like, yes. <laughs> I was like, you have to sit out of gym? Yes. I said, now Chase, let me ask you something, and this is this is kind of fun because I was thinking about this stuff. I was like, all right, let's say we let you wear the dress tomorrow, and on your way to school you're walking and you see your friend Julia, and she was riding her bike to school, but she fell off her bike into a muddy ditch. Now you got your nice white dress on. And you come up, and you see Julia in the ditch, and actually she's hurting everything. What do you think you should do? And she started looking like this, because she figured Daddy's asking a trick question, <laughs> you know. And she just goes, she goes, she goes, uh, I'd call you. I was like, no, 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 no cell phone. You don't have anything like that. Uh, you know, I'd run and get a teacher. No, 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 what would you do? You're the only one around. You got the white dress, the girl in the mud. What would you do? What should you do? What do you think? And she just goes, I would help her. Because it's the right thing to do. And I was like, come here, girl. And we had this great this is this is the you know, we don't have a ton of moments like this. This is a moment where I was like, okay, something's going right. Parents live for this. Now make the connection. In Jesus' day, the religious leaders were primarily focused on keeping their dresses clean. You get this? They focused on the fine print instead of the freedom. They focus on the minutia instead of the motivation behind things. And folks, that's why, honestly, Jesus intentionally steps over the fence to break the law. Because he's like, I want to teach something to you in a very dramatic way. Sometimes the most loving thing you can do to keep the law is to hop the fence and break it. And to really drive that point home and stick it to them, guess what he does next? Look at verse 9. He hops it a second time. I love this. This is so hilarious. Look at this, verse 9. Going on from that place he went into their synagogue. So in other words, Jesus is like, i got to really make a point here. Let me go into the church. So he goes into the, the temple and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? There are laws. See, the oral law said people could only be helped if their life was in danger. Now look at this. Jesus said to them, now if any of you has a sheep or a pink piggy and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take a hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a man then a sheep. Therefore, let's read this together. It is lawful to do what? To do good on the Sabbath. Now watch this because you talk about a subversive attack. I love this. I missed it the first time. It's in his face. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. Remember, his hand is shriveled. In other words, he can't stretch it out. And Jesus is like, I want to show you something. Everyone watch this. So the man stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Just, just, as, just as sound as the other. And you think this is the moment in the church service where the people start cheering and going crazy because God has come into the church. The Spirit is in the building. Woo! God did a miracle! But now watch because this is where religion takes you. Verse 14. But the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. Maybe Hitchens had a point What if religion does poison everything, including us? I mean, think about what it did to the Pharisees. The back to the Bible movement. You talk about missing the forest for the trees. What was the whole purpose of the Sabbath? Restoration. God says, I want one day to give you a break. And when you're in my presence, I'm going to restore you. I'm going to replenish you. The whole point is to restore us. And the Pharisees, so focused on the letter of the law, Rather than the spirit of love behind it, they condemn healing. In other words, their hearts were as shriveled as the man's hand. That's where religion ultimately takes you. When the whole intent of the law is a gift that teaches how to love like God. Do you understand why Jesus came to take a jackhammer to the religious system? Because sometimes the most loving thing you can do in the world is hop the fence. Even when it costs you dearly and start a revolution with your life. A few weeks ago, um, it was Easter, and uh, we ha- it was an exciting day. Who was here for Easter? You were here for Easter. Woo, Easter, okay. How many of you invited a friend or your family came with you on Easter? That was awesome. We had, uh, this was probably our, our biggest day. We had 1,800 people at all of our services. Just really exciting day, crazy day. But among that crowd, one sticks out for me, because at one of our campuses, a man uh, in the 930 service had a medical emergency. He actually, in the middle of worship, he had his abdominal hernia burst out. Yeah, every, every, it didn't actually... Rip, but, but it went through his abdominal wall, he has a distended hernia, one of the ways, through the worship song, he's worshiping, just, oh, just tremendously painful, and uh, you know, our volunteers, you guys are great, we rushed to, you know, get him help, but he told us, it's part of an ongoing condition, so, so it's like, he goes, not to go to the hospital, it's not going to help, he goes, I just have to lay down, as happens before, we have to put heat on it, and actually massage it back in, and uh, so some of our volunteers, thank you, you know, helped him lay down, and, and when we realized, this may be a while, we actually brought him up to a hotel room to, to lay down on the bed. It's one of the benefits of hotel church. Guys in incredible pain. Um, some of you know Lois Brooks. She's one of our incredible volunteers. You, Lois, it's Lois. All right, Lois Brooks. She volunteers all day Sunday with Gina, Denise, some, some of the other uh, ladies. And she oversees all the stuff on Sundays, including like inputting your connection cards. You know when you put prayer requests? She types every one there into the computer, helps count the offering, all that stuff. But when word got to Lois across the street about this guy who's suffering up in the hotel room, she actually left the office, came across the street because she was an RN in, in, in a previous life. And so I got word about this after the service, and I go upstairs to see this poor guy. And honestly, when I walked in the door, it was amazing. Because Lois is there, and she's got her glasses on, she's got connection cards, you know, all over here. And, and she's holding this man's hand, and she's stroking his head. She's like, it's okay, it's okay, we're going to work this out. And she's comforting his wife, who was very, very upset, as you can imagine, her husband in this And as I stood there, you know, Lois, she rolls up her sleeves and literally begins massaging this man's herniated abdomen back into his belly using her nursing skills. And he was in such pain. She's like talking, getting his mind off the pain. And she was just incredible. And she'd been there for two hours with this man. And I was like, Lois, do you want me to do anything? She goes, yeah, send a message across the street to Dave, my husband, Pastor Dave. She said, tell him to forget the connection card, screw the offering, we need to help this guy. You know, she didn't say that, actually. But she said, I'm not going (laughs) to, sorry, that's my embellishment. Lois doesn't talk like that. Uh, Sorry. (laughs) Lois is going to be like, what? She actually sent Pastor Dave, she goes, "She did order Dave to go to Rite Aid to get a heating pad. And I was like, I couldn't be prouder, because I was like, that's love in action. So I go to lunch, and I come back two hours later, and she is still there with this man and his wife, comforting her and helping this man. I said, Lois, it's Easter. And she goes, no, I told my family, go have Easter brunch without me. I said, you've been here for three, four hours, and you gave, up, you, know, you gave up brunch with your family. Can I tell you what a difference that made? For that man? That was my father. My dad was here on Easter. And he had a, a, uh, it's one of the complications of his cancer. And uh, the fact that our volunteers took the time on Sunday, big day, big church day, and broke out of their religious routine, gave up Easter dinner to love and care for my dad. Folks, that's why I'm a Christian. Do you understand that? Because that's how Jesus was real to me and ministered to my whole family on the Sabbath. (laughs) I didn't, I didn't, it wasn't the message, it wasn't the music, it wasn't anything we did on stage, it was love and action breaking through. It was the gospel lived out through the loving hands of a volunteer named Lois. Do you you understand that's the point of everything? (laughs) How did we miss this? How did church and temple somehow swallow up and cloud the most glorious good news message in the world? How did this happen? That in our moment of need, God came down out of love to serve and give his life for us. How did this happen? Jesus said, I I didn't come to hold up the fence. I came to throw it out. It's not about that. It's about love. Forget the steps. This is not the point. It's not about you climbing up. It's about me coming down to you in the form of my son Jesus who will give his life for you. Love. You get this. This was revolutionary. Because when Jesus said, he said, I'm bringing the love of God down to you and I'm abolishing religion once and for all. He didn't come to reform religion. He had to replace it with himself. How could he do that? Because he didn't abolish the law. He said, I came to fulfill it perfectly. He said, my body is the temple, and it will be broken in, in three days, but I'm going to put it back together. I am your high priest. I'm the one who connects you to the Father. And guess what? I'm not making a sacrifice. I am the sacrifice. And I want you to be too. That's why Jesus says, I am Lord of the sabbath i'm over all of it anything good or holy or truly loving i created it i'm the temple the priest i'm your sacrifice you can't possibly do all this yourself so i'm coming down in your moment of need to do it for you that's the gospel that's the gospel that's amazing that's incredible it's the incarnation god came down with skin on in the form of jesus as a gift of love First John 4.10 puts it this way. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Don't miss it, because when you, folks, when it hits your heart that way, and you see what God gave out of love for you, it doesn't shrink, it enlarges your heart. You will be able to love in incredible ways because of the way you've been loved. You, you will know when to hop the fence based on the cross of Christ, because that was the demonstration of God's perfect love. John writes, he says, Dear friends, since God loved us, let's read it together. We also ought to love one another. That's how people in the kingdom live. You get this? The principle is other-centered, not self-centered. It's, how can I do for someone else what I would want done for me? Imagine if Lois had heard about my dad and said, Well... I would love to help, by golly gee whiz, but I have all these connection cards to do. No, she doesn't talk like that either, by the way. Oh, sorry. That's my Minnesota accent. (laughs) Sometimes our religious routines, guys, can get us just so busy and focused on what we're doing to serve and impress God that we lose sight of the most important command of all, love. That's why Jesus says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Love, not law. One of my favorite modern day prophets, Bono, from the group U2, he famously said this, I love this quote, he said, religion is almost what happens when the spirit has left the building. (laughs) Folks, I hope and pray, I I, I literally pray we never get religious. That we never get religion (laughs) at Liquid. that, That someday the love of Christ actually dries up and all we're left with is three songs and a message and see you next Sunday everyone and we lose touch with grace and compassion, and we start going through the motions and arguing over the fine print. The day that happens, it's all over. You get that? Amen, yes? We will have missed the whole point of our faith, which is love. And love says sometimes you got to hop the fence, like Christ hopped the fence for you when you were in need. Go and do likewise. You get it? How did we make it this complex? When is that simple? It's interesting. Every religion of the world focuses on some version of humanity reaching up to take hold of the divine. These are the steps you take. If someone ever asks you, what's unique about Christianity? Only the gospel dares make the startling claim that God came down to us. Divinity took on humanity. And it was a man. God became a man named Jesus. And he walked among us and he he gave his life to demonstrate what love and action really is. Christianity is utterly unique that way. No religion. That's why I follow Jesus. Because he lived it, he believed it, and he gave his life for it. A true revolutionary is willing to die for love, and Jesus did. If you believe that, you repent of religion, all the ways we perform and try to earn our way to heaven, you repent of that, you receive the gift of Jesus. That's called salvation. That's what we call it. That's when God forgives your sin. He restores your relationship with the Father. He puts the Spirit in your heart, because now you can't do this, by the way. You can't live like this all the time. That's why you need the Holy Spirit. He raises you, resurrects you to new life, and you become part of the revolution. You're not joining an institution. You're joining a movement. Do you get this? Jesus came to start a movement of radical lovers who are being revolutionized by Christ and are living and loving each other in his name. That's what this whole thing's about. That's why we worship together here on Sunday. And that's the invitation that Jesus gives, and it's actually one that I hope every one of you receives. Amen? Amen. Let's stand together. I want to pray for us, okay? Father, I am thanking you today for the hands of Lois Brooks (laughs) and the hands of hundreds and hundreds of other people who we will never speak their name because we don't know of of the actions we see behind the scenes that are making a difference in this world. I thank you that the kingdom of God is coming on earth as it is in heaven through your people. May right now in this holy moment, the power of your Holy Spirit just pierce every man and woman's heart and let them see what you have done for us. You were pierced for us and now we get to live for you. We praise you for that. We surrender our life to you. I surrender the life of our church, of liquid God. I just pray your spirit will just flood into every crevice and nook and cranny and start with our hearts. If you are with me, say amen. 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 Thanks for listening to Liquid Church Audio. If this message has touched you, we'd love to know how. Just email Pastor Dave Adamson at churchonline at liquidchurch.com. For more information and content, or to connect with our worldwide Liquid Church community, log on to liquidchurchonline.com.